Man, how blessed are we to have all those people who went before us as examples of faith. I'm hoping as we go through the Old Testament uh, that this helps us learn the character of God. Because when we love someone, we should want to know everything about them. We are going to pick up where we left off. We are in Exodus. Before we get started, let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you that we can come before you. I just pray that your presence is in this room, that you open up our minds to hear what you have to say. I pray that you help us value your words and put them in our hearts. I pray that they become a, a part of us and a part of what we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So uh, let's do a quick recap of where we left off. The Israelites are slaves in Egypt. God calls Moses from a burning bush, which uh, we talked about how Jesus and God were present in that burning bush. Uh, calls him to preach the gospel. And just a reminder, the gospel just means good news. To tell the Israelites God is going to deliver them and to tell the Pharaoh to conform to the gospel. So let's start with our main verse, and this is found in Exodus 3, 16 through 22. And when you have found it, please stand for the reading of God's word. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt, into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hevitites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to them, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably dispossessed towards the people so that when you leave, you will not go empty handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for the articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. So first, Moses gets equipped so the people will believe God's message. Moses miraculously is given three abilities. The first ability Moses is given is to throw his staff on the ground, and then it will become a snake. Now, I'm betting a bunch of us would have ran at that point. Then God tells Moses to grab the snake by the tail. And anyone who has grabbed a snake knows you do not grab it by the tail, you grab it by the head. The second ability Moses has is to use his cloak to give people leprosy and to heal leprosy. And then the third ability Moses is given is to turn the water into blood. So Moses and Aaron go before the elders of the Israelites and preach the gospel and perform signs and miracles. The elders believe 
and bow and worship God. So far, things are going pretty good, right? Moses was worried about the people not believing, and they did believe. Now, Moses and God's people hit their first bump in the road, and we find this in Exodus 5, 1 through 4. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. The Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to Moses and Aaron, Why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. It's the the Dan version. Then Pharaoh said, look at the people of the land. They are numerous, and you are stopping them from working. Anybody work for a boss like that? Don't raise your hand. Uh, The Pharaoh doesn't believe in the God of Moses. The Pharaoh doesn't consider the warning and has a selfish attitude. He is only concerned with losing his slaves. So the Pharaoh gets mad and increases the amount of labor, and they beat the Israelites in order that the Israelites will make their quota. Then the Israelites hear that Moses is the reason for their harsh treatment, and the Israelites curse at him. Moses' faith is shaking, and let's see how Moses reacts. This is found in Exodus 5, 22 and 23. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Why have you brought me out, brought the trouble on this people? Is this why you have sent me? Ever since I went to speak to the Pharaoh in your name, He has brought trouble on his people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Moses and the people are upset. They pictured this rescue mission a lot easier. Did you know the gospel of Jesus isn't easy either? It is easy if you believe in a false gospel. But we should remind each other that we must go through hardships if we want to enter the kingdom of God. Why do we remind each other? Because it strengthens our faith. It reminds us our faith in God is a journey just like the faith in the Old Testament. Just like Paul and Barnabas taught in Acts 14.22. Strengthening disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. The Lord responds to Moses' concern. And we find this in Exodus 6, 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to the Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let you go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. Now God intervenes and God shows his mighty power. The mighty power that separates him from all the other spiritual forces. God sends ten plagues to Egypt. And before the plagues start, God always sends Moses up to the Pharaoh to warn him. Moses and Aaron perform miracles that God gave them. 
And the Egyptians had magicians of their own that could do the same as Aaron and Moses. But when the Egyptians turned the staffs into snakes, Aaron's staff ate their snakes. God is a loving God and gave the Egyptians a way out from sinning. But they wouldn't believe. The Pharaoh hardened his heart. So God sends his first plague. He turns the Nile River into blood. He kills all the fish in it. And as you know, when fish die and it just sits there in the water, that's a real recipe for some stink. They couldn't drink the water, so what was the Egyptians' response? They called out their magicians and they say, look, we can turn water into blood also. And instead of humbling themselves and asking God for help, they dug around the Nile to get drinking water. Then the Lord plagued Egypt with frogs. Once again, the magicians in Egypt used their dark arts to make frogs appear also. Kind of like a show of strength to say, hey, we can do this too like your God. Unlike the Nile River, the Pharaoh had to ask Moses to pray to God so that the frogs would leave. By this time, I think the Pharaoh realizes his magicians can imitate the plagues, but do not have the power to remove God's plagues. It's important to notice the invisible dark forces at work that influence the Egyptians' act, or on how they act and how they do. When the Pharaoh found relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron. Then the Lord sends a plague of gnats. I think that happened downstairs one time here too. So, <laughs> This time, the magicians could not create the gnats. Notice the progression of God separating himself from any spiritual forces. By now, the magicians have seen enough. They tell the Pharaoh that the gnats came from the finger of God. Yes, even the magicians are confessing the power of God. Yet the Pharaoh's hard, heart was hard, and he wouldn't listen. Then the Lord sends a swarm of flies. This time, he does not send them to Goshen, where the Israelites stay. This was to be a sign to everyone that the Lord makes a distinction between his people and the rest. But that also reminds us that sometimes his people have to endure the plagues also so he can fulfill his purposes. Because up until this point, the Israelites were not separated from the plagues. Because the plagues were so bad, the Pharaoh agrees to let the Israelites go if Moses prays that the flies and gnats leave. After the plagues are gone, the Pharaoh hardens his heart and will not let the, God's people go. Because the Pharaoh would not let the people go, the Lord kills all the Egyptian livestock. But not one of the Israelites' livestock was hurt. God plagues the Egyptian people with boils. And the, the magicians cannot even stand before Moses because the boils were so bad. Then God sends a hailstorm that is so bad if anyone was out during this time, they will die. It also destroys livestock and plants in the field. Once again, the Pharaoh asks Moses to pray to God, and the plague stopped. This time, t 
time, he even admitted, the Pharaoh even admitted that he sinned. See the progression here? The Pharaoh begun telling Moses that they were just lazy and he doesn't know this God that Moses speaks about. Now the Pharaoh not only knows the power of the God of Abraham, but he admits that he has sinned. And once again, when the Pharaoh and his officials find relief, they harden their hearts and would not let the Israelites go. In response, God sends a plague of locusts. Moses warns the Pharaoh about the locusts. And this time the Pharaoh tries to negotiate. He's starting to hurt a little bit here now. He says, only let the men go to worship. Moses explains that is not what God called him to do. The Pharaoh doesn't accept God's terms. And once again, the locusts are sent, destroying the land except for Goshen, the holy land that we're in right now. Once again, the Pharaoh said he would let the people go. And once he got relief, the Pharaoh changed his mind. Moses warns of a plague of darkness. And once again, the Pharaoh tries to negotiate. Moses doesn't compromise. And the Lord sends darkness over the land. It was so dark for the Egyptians, they couldn't see each other. It even says that the darkness could be felt. Once again, the Pharaoh tells Moses they can go. Just pray that the light comes back. Again, the Pharaoh's heart is hard, and he would not let the people go. Jesus teaches us about the Pharaoh mindset and the Pharaoh heart. And we find this in Matthew 13, 18 through 21, or 23. Listen then to what parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last for a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one that produces a crop yielding 100, 60, or 30 times what is sown. The condition of the Pharaoh's heart would not allow him to receive God's message. And we have to examine our own hearts regularly to make sure we receive what God has for us. How can you tell if you believe the message of the kingdom? Jesus says you will produce fruit. What are the signs that someone has not received the message of the kingdom? From the parable, Jesus says they won't understand it is one sign. He also says another sign is when persecution comes, they abandon the faith. This describes the Israelites early on after they were persecuted and cursed Moses. But thankfully, they did believe enough by their actions, and we'll see that in the last plague. The third thing Jesus mentions is that people turn away to chase wealth or selfishness. That would describe the Pharaoh. 
I myself used to have a hard heart. I used to believe there was a God and he sent his son to die for me, which is true. But I used to have the same pattern as the Pharaoh. I would sin, ask for forgiveness, because I knew Jesus died for my sin. When I got relief, I would go back to sin because my heart was hard. I also have fell under the first category too, where I didn't understand the gospel. My thought was we are all sinners and there's nothing you can do about it except trust that Jesus will forgive you of your sins. That is what I call the Pharaoh gospel, the hard heart gospel. But here's what God speaks through Ezekiel about this hard heart epidemic. This is found in Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, that hard heart, and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. So on that, we see new heart. Sure does sound like born again. We see cleansing water. Sure does sound like baptism. God didn't just promise to forgive us and leave us in slavery to sin. God promises to give us a soft heart so if we ask for forgiveness, we can also forsake that sin. He promises that we will carefully keep his commands. The Pharaoh didn't have a heart of flesh. And we have to humble ourselves and continue to ask for the grace of a soft heart. Otherwise, we could end up like the Pharaoh. Then God speaks to Moses and promises this last plague will make the Pharaoh let the people go. God is going to kill every firstborn. All the way up from the highest, which is the Pharaoh's firstborn, to the lowest, talking about the cattle. Why the firstborn? Because God says Israel is his firstborn. Israel is different from the world. God's children, his firstborn, are to walk in faith. And if the Israelites are faithful, they will be saved. But he explains to Moses that there is a way to distinguish themselves from the rest of the people. This event he called the Passover. God gave Moses specific instructions to tell the people, which included how to kill a lamb and spread the blood around the doorpost. And also what days and how to eat the Passover meal and which was the lamb that they killed. And they were to take hyssop and dip it into the blood of a lamb or goat and then spread it on the sides and the top of the door frame. That way the destroyer would not kill the Israelites firstborn. That's exactly what Israel did, but the Egyptians did not. The Bible teaches us that there was not a household that someone didn't die for the Egyptians. But the Israelites were saved 
because they believed God and followed his instructions. Now, in the New Testament, who is the Passover lamb or goat? Let's see what John says about this, and we find this in John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God doesn't just forgive sins. He does forgive them, but he also takes away the sins from the world. So the Lamb has been slain. And what happens next during the Old Testament Passover? They spread the blood on the doorway. And then they eat the lamb. This is what the lamb of God, Jesus, says about himself. And we can find this in John 6, 55 and 56. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. In the Old Testament Passover, what is the body language that the believer has during the Passover. Let's look at some verses that explain this. We'll start in Exodus 13, 11. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. And then also in Exodus 13, 39. With the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare the food for themselves. So the instructions for the Israelites were they were supposed to be ready to go while they ate the Passover meal. When Jesus says it's finished, the power of the Pharaoh is over. But your faithful journey to paradise has begun. Everyone's faith journey is different. But when we eat the Passover, we are to have our staff in our hand and our sandals on our feet because we are ready to get out of Egypt. We don't have time to stay in Egypt and plan our next meal. We start following God right away as he leads us by faith to the promised land. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like you're stuck in Egypt, like I was, to come up and let us pray for you. I don't want any of us stuck in the pattern of the Pharaoh, addicted to sin with a hard heart. If you want to commit your life to Christ, I also encourage you to come up and get prayer. I don't want you to wait because you never know when God may send plagues into your life to get your attention, just like he did the Pharaoh, because he is merciful and wants everyone to turn away.